And in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of Guide to the Grind. My name is Jeff Eady. We cover money, mindset, and momentum. Joining me today, as always, is one of my favorite mortgage brokers, one of the best guys I know, and the skip to my Lou, my darling, Mr. Jonathan Tilger. Jonathan, how are you today? <laughs> you just popped a song in my head. I don't remember the last time I heard it. I am I am phenomenal, Jeff. Always. I... It's it's been a phenomenal week, and whenever I come on here and talk with you, it gets even better. So just just rocking and rolling. How about you? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I uh, I've been working on that one all day. Just so you know, I, I phoned oh. it in last week, so I wanted to make sure I had a good one this week. <laughs> well, I I do appreciate the uh, the effort you put in just to that intro. It, it is something else. <laughs> So, Jonathan, let's talk about the times that are happening right now, what's going on in the market, not so much a market update, but what we're seeing a lot more of these days is people going to private lenders. So I figured it's a good time for us to be chatting about what people's options are when it comes to that. We'll talk, I think, maybe define what private lending is and the different silos that it falls into because it's a very vast category and kind of let people know like, hey, you know, there's, there's kind of both sides to it as well. There's the lender side and then there's the borrower side and how all that works together. So why don't you start us off by firing out some definitions or kind of um, guidelines to what private lending actually is in Canada? All right. Well, pro- probably uh, I'll take one step back from there and just sort of differentiate the types of lenders. So obviously when most people think about lending, think about think about banks. So those are your A lenders. There are your banks, there's monolines, there's other lenders playing in that space. Then you get into your B, which is your home trust and so forth. Uh, home trust, one of the biggest names, equitable, there's some credit unions play in this space. And these are really when you would go to a B lender. You go to a B lender generally if it's a credit issue or I'll say an income issue. And by income issue, I don't mean you sit there, you've got no income. I mean, you're, for instance, self-employed, you're newer in the business, you show good cash flow, but uh, but you're writing a lot of stuff off. So as a result, your income doesn't quite show what's needed to qualify through the A side as of yet. So that's where B is a great alternative. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get into the private lending space, and th- this is where there's a bit of, uh, I mean, it's a bit of wild west. And I just mean that you've you've got areas that are like your your MIC world, which is more tightly regulated. They've got governing MIE. bodies. So, yes, <laughs> mortgage investment entities, um, which is more regulated. You do have they do have gen- governing bodies. They've got uh, they've got stricter guidelines they need to follow. And then you just have I'll just say you've got uh, I'll just call let's call it Uncle Joe who just has a pile of money and that's who you're borrowing it from may or may not be your uncle, but it's, it's essentially just an individual who's got some money that they're lending. So you can have this whole gamut of different things that are out there when you get into the private space. Mm -hmm. I think there's one category we should add to that because it seems to be coming up a little bit more often is the private syndicates. Uh, something that a lawyer may put together where he has four or five investors that pool their money together and they lend that out that way. That's kind of the in-between. It's not exactly regulated, but it's not exactly Uncle Joe lending out his money either. Yeah, and and some of the, I'll just say, they may not necessarily have a uh, a mortgage investment uh, entity or corp set up, but you can have, I'll say, individuals who do or individuals, groups, corporations who hold an administrator's license. So they're a similar structure, but slightly different in that they've got a pool of investors and they're they're essentially matching up an investor with someone who needs money and they're the uh, administrator in between who they, they take care of making sure things are paid and all those things. So let's back it up a little bit because that's, uh, you know, for for somebody who's just now being introduced to this, this may be a little bit overwhelming. Let's say somebody has been trying to qualify for a mortgage. Now they're understanding that perhaps the only option they have is a private lender. Who's a good candidate to that uh, for that, and how should they begin the process? Actually, that that, that I set you up for that. If you don't take that sale, I'm I'm, I'm quitting. <laughs> Well, obviously, they start the process by contacting myself, or uh, <laughs> if, 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 if they can't, Same if enough. they can't get me a, a good uh, a good mortgage broker, someone. And one of the main things you want to look at, and this this is, 
this is a space I've spent some time in, but it hasn't been my main my main focus. And the whole reason being is there are some people I'd say who get into this space and they get trapped in this space. And that's often, I'll just say, when you drive by, you see the sign of first, second, third mortgages, we get it all done. Uh, it's usually the person <laughs> who's in a desperate situation says, I've got to get this done right now. Own your own home, and, approved. <laughs> yeah, and, and they don't take the time to really research, is this the best option for them? The number one thing, if, you're, if you are going the private route, is you should have an understanding of what's your game plan with this. It can't just be, well, I'll get this, I'll get this set up and just hope it all works out. Because when you get into the private space, a lot of times you say, well, I'm getting a rate of, let's just say 8%. Well, you got to keep in mind that it's 8% is the rate, but what fees are being charged on top? And mm -hmm. how does it work? Is it 8% that will automatically renew and just be 8%? Or what are the fees you're going to charge on renewal? So your net rate ends up being 11 or 12% every year by the time you take that in, because next year they're going to charge the same thing. And next year they're going to charge the same thing. I so think it, another part of that that's super important is to understand that these are interest-only loans. They're not paying down the principal. Yes. I, I have run into people who set up a uh, a private loan and thought it was being paid down. They found out that three years later, they still owed the same amount they owed at the beginning because they didn't understand that portion. Is that the same person I know or are those two different stories? That that's <laughs> the, the, This is a different story. This, this, is, this, oh, this, really? is, someone, this is someone from years ago uh, when I first got in the business. I, 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 a family I helped out, we were able to get it consolidated and, and get it moved over and, and help move them forward. But they thought that their loan was being paid down. I think, scratch that, I know there's a problem in the industry when it comes to that. And I don't necessarily think that it's always nefarious um, intent. I think that sometimes, you know, especially in, in mortgage agents, they may just not know what they're putting somebody into. So they don't think to tell them that. But that's a major issue. If you've been paying 8% for the year thinking, hey, you know what, at the end of the year, I'm going to have some of my mortgage paid off. And no, you haven't paid off any of it. In fact, you've gotten an extra $25,000 in fees and you still owe the 8% interest. That's a big eye opener for a lot of people. It definitely is. And, and there are, and as we're talking about this, there is, I'll say one of the, one of the main situations I see people get into private. So, so let, let's talk about the different situations where someone would look at a private loan. Okay, fine. If we have to. <laughs> so, so what, one, one of them is, you know what? I want to buy a house. I don't qualify through traditional means. I'm buying a house for myself. And so this is my way to get into the market right now. Uh, the second one is, and this is probably people who get into investing and mm -hmm. they use private money, be it for short term or for longer term, because they recognize, hey, you know what? This property is a good value. And so mm -hmm. I've run the numbers and yeah, the loan's going to cost me this much, but I'm still making money on the property. By the way, throwing a plug out there, if you want a copy of our book, uh, Private Financing for Investors, you can certainly go to amortgageplan.com and download it there. Sorry, Jonathan. <laughs> and that, then the uh, the third category, and this is, this is one I think that uh, a lot of people, and I'll say a lot of the advertising is targeted for. And these are the people, someone who owns a house currently, they've got some equity in the house, but they've fallen into a situation i'll just say it fallen on hard times or they're in a challenging situation they potentially falling behind on things and so they're using private money to bring it up to date and in any of those situations it's like moving got, in quicksand <laughs> yeah well again it can be a good move it can be the right thing but you need to go into it with an exit strategy in mind. If you're going into it just hoping for the best, that usually doesn't work out that well. It usually works out where, okay, I'm going into this a year later. Okay, I'm having to renew this mortgage now. Yes, I'm paying the rate. They Oh, they've, I've upped my rate by another percent or two. In addition to I'm paying that that 2 or 3% in fees to get it done over again. The same thing the next year, the same thing the next year, and the same thing the next year. Kind of the cycle people get into versus, all right, this is what I need to do today. Things mm -hmm. have happened. I'm in the situation I'm in. It, it's It's the reality check of where you're at and what can you do differently to get out of it. And, and I may make a bold statement here that if you're in that situation, your exit strategy is to sell your house. It can be. 
in most cases come on i know i'm bolder than you but if you're if you're getting behind on it and you're just trying to keep it your best option is to sell the house and get as much equity out of it as you can to downsize yeah uh, un unless it was okay you had a st distinct event that got you into that you're past that event and you know all right we're past that event you had a period where someone wasn't able to work in the household. You're past that. You had to yeah. do that to get caught up, but now you've got a game plan to get out of it. But if that's not the case, if, if, if you've been systemically in this situation, especially knowing that, you know what, your first mortgage, if you're keeping the first mortgage, is going to be renewing at a higher rate to think that uh, in a year's time with your first mortgage now renewing 2% higher than it was when you got it. In addition to that, you're then, then selling it is can be your best option or something you should at least consider. I've seen it on more than one occasion. Uh, but one that I always come back to, and you've heard me talk about this before, is a single mom went through a divorce, had four kids, wanted a house for her kids to grow up in, but got attached to the property as, a, as an emotional thing when she really could not afford it. And she had missed two payments already, and that's not a good thing. And trying to speak to somebody, understanding that... If if people could separate their emotion from the bricks and mortar, it would make a life a lot easier for mortgage people um, because her only option at that point truly was to sell it and, and save as much equity as possible and downsize. Kids might have to share the bedrooms, but you're going to get a good chunk out. If it goes to power of sale, your your options are very, very limited and the, the lawyers are going to eat up most of your equity. Yeah, by the time you get into yeah law lawyer fees, fees from the lenders, all these things that come up as a result, exactly the case. And the other, you know, as we're covering worst case scenarios, let's talk about the other worst case is if you have to renew three, four years in a row and you're just eating up all of those uh, renewal costs, the 2% here, the 2% there, eventually you're going to you're going to cross the um, loan to value threshold that they'll no longer cover. And you're not going to be able to renew. So you have to have that exit strategy before you ever take the money. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been in a situation where properties have been appreciating so much that people have been kind of, it, it's been like, hey, you know what? I've still got equity in the house, so you're good. And that's been going on for a long time. But let's face it, the market's changed a little bit from what it was. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying for a second that properties are going are gonna to drop dramatically in value, uh, but they're not appreciating as they were. Mm -hmm. And there are some market, uh, some areas, uh, particularly outlying areas to Toronto and so forth, where prices have come down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk about having a game plan when it comes to uh, using private money, because there's there's a lot of great advantages to it as well. So when you go into, let's say you're sitting down with a client and they've got a house that they need private financing for, they know it's, you know, it's not a, a permanent solution. What are you looking for to create an exit strategy for somebody? I know there's a million different scenarios they can be coming in into that. You know, let's just say it's somebody who didn't qualify at a B. They want to own the house. What do you create for a game plan for them? Well, got to look at their whole situation. <laughs> Number one, why can't they qualify today? Is mm -hmm. it a matter of, is it a matter of, uh, I mean, is it a matter of they don't necessarily have all the equity required? Is it a matter of they don't show the income or is it a credit issue? I mean, it's usually it's usually one of those three things. Um, and so and, and what I'll take a step back again, because as I as I made that statement, I realized the first one I said about they don't have the uh, the required down payment. Uh, that can actually get into a lease to own type situation, which is, again, something if you want information, be happy to talk about that, because it's something I do, do occasionally. Technically a private lending scenario. It's just yep. structured different. Exactly. And so, so that's where, you know what, here's the house I want. I've got everything else. I qualify for this, but, or I qualify, everything lines up except for the fact I don't have the, the right down payment. Mm -hmm. And so that's where game plan of, okay, well, we'll do this. We'll do this. We we'll do this. We know that in two years time, you're buying it out. You've got the income, making sure that you're going to be able to qualify for, for that, that, the, uh, the price, making sure for all those things and you get to go. So it's, it's the same sort of exercise with every, every single one going, why is it that we're in this situation today? I will and say, like a, sorry, just as a, a caveat to that, um, uh, a rent to own or a lease to own solution is not a no money down solution. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's a, I don't have all of it. I need a little bit more. 
Exactly. Exactly. You've got to have some money in it because ultimately you are making basically an investment in a house alongside an investor who's effectively buying the house with the contract for you to buy it out. And for you to have that option to buy it out at that price you're buying it out at, that's where you've got to have money in the game. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. it's just, otherwise it's just a straight rent for yes. the, for the landlord to own. <laughs> so sorry go back to what uh what you were saying about having a game plan and what the scenarios are there so it, it's really looking at okay is it a why don't you qualify today it's as i said it's one of three things either down payment issue um it is a credit issue or it is a income issue and so it's really looking and saying well what what's changing in a year two years time for you able to buy this out I mean, if it's a matter of, well, it's the income issue because just started a business, don't show very much, but here's, uh, here's where things are going. Here's the work being, okay, if they're confident that that's what's happening, uh, we'll do a little, I mean, on my part, we'll do a little bit of research to confirm that, that that's in line, then great, let's, let's proceed knowing that usually, I mean, typically you want to go in with a one to two year game plan. If you're going to be beyond that, that's where there's too many variables that can change. And so it may not necessarily be the best strategy for you, mm -hmm. but you go in with, with that. Okay. We've got a two-year game plan. We've got a one-year game plan. Again, credit, credit issues. Here's the things you need to do to fix your credit. And so knowing that once those things are fixed, then you'll be in a situation where you can then qualify either on a B side or a, an A side. So what you're saying is that anybody that comes in, you're, you're obviously going to look at the scenario and work with them on a yearly, if not have, you know, semi-yearly uh, uh, frequency to get them to a better situation by the end of that first, if not second year term. Exactly. And, and I would say if you are looking for really financing of any kind, but particularly private financing, make sure that whoever you're working with is helping you on that side. Cause if not, they're not doing any favors. They're just looking to, to collect the money. Um, if they're just kind of, well, I can get this done, close it. And then you're sort of on your own. That's not what you want. You really want someone who's going to work with and say, yeah, based on this, here's what we can get. Here's how we can change it. Mm -hmm. Providing you do this, this, and this in a year's time, in two years time, we'll be able to get it done this way. I'm also going to throw out a caution here because I've seen it. I don't know if you have, but I'm sure you have since you've been in the industry longer than I have, where you have somebody who's coming up for renewal on year two, and all of a sudden you the, the agent that they've worked with or the broker that they've worked with is now shopping that deal out to other lenders. And uh, in the case that I saw it, it's funny because the broker I was working for at the time was like, this guy's just trying to make more money off of it. And it was very intense and they had a very short timeline and it needed to get done. And, and they put this on me that like, basically my understanding was if I couldn't do it, they were going to lose the house. Well, my broker looked at me and just said that, no, they're trying to make renewal fees because if they renew with the same person, then that broker's not going to make a, a, a commission. And that ended up totally being the case. We couldn't lend on it. And uh, he's like, oh yeah, that's all right. I already had somebody for them. <laughs> so be aware of of making sure that the broker or agent you're working with isn't just trying to make fees off you they actually have your best intentions in mind yeah that, that, that that's a big part of it and that that comes down to whose interest are they truly looking out for yeah yeah that's a that's a scary thing so who who is a prime candidate to use a private lender ah uh, let's see Oh, did I stump you? <laughs> this is this has not been the focus of my career. I mean, I'm going to mm -hmm. be upfront with that, uh, primarily because, primarily because my advice to a lot of people looking for private stuff was this isn't your best situation right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not it's not been the type of business I've gone after. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with people who go after it and specialize in this type of lending. I've, I've done a fair bit of it, but as far as a prime situation, most of the private lending I've done has more been your distressed homeowners, mm -hmm. somebody who owns today. And that that's where you see a lot of it. And that's well, a lot of the advertising out there with the own a home, you're approved. That's what the whole, that's who they're targeting is because they're looking for people who are homeowners who have equity. And those people, yeah, they are they are great targets. Are they're 
prime candidates for private if it's being used wisely. So and, let, and let me let me direct you more to what I was I was thinking, and that's somebody who has an exit strategy that has something like say they're doing a flip. Let's say they're an investor. Yep. And they don't qualify because it's a secondary property and maybe they don't have enough income showing, but you can see on the project that, you know, they need six months to get to here. And once they're there, everything works out. As long as everything goes according to plan, which it never does. What kind of people are those? Because I've definitely dealt with them. I'm just trying to tee you up for some some easy questions here, Jonathan. Please work with me. <laughs> Well, as as you rightfully said right there, those <laughs> those are those are the investors. And when they you go through, run the numbers on the property and say, hey, we can close on it and close on it, especially close on it with tight time frames. Yeah. And that that's where that's where if you are that in that category, um, I say tight time frames, you want to get things set up in advance. Don't don't sit there and say, Oh, I found this property. Now I'm gonna start looking for my lending sources. That's where if if you're working that category uh, and you are our investor looking to buy properties that come available, you need to have some money in the game. It's not a matter of uh, of the, I mean, I, I heard this stuff years ago. Well, just go to hard money and then you don't, you need nothing. Uh, that was going on in certain markets back uh, 15 years ago. But nowadays, no, you've got to have some skin in the game. Uh, but But with that, it is, it's, you've looked at the numbers. And you take into account, here's my cost of capital. Here's my, my lending fears. Here's all these things. And if the property still makes sense at that point, then it makes sense. If you're going to make money, even if the, the money costs you uh, costs you 12% for the year, if you're making money, you're making money. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, absolutely. If you can make 16 and it costs you 12, who cares as long as you're making money? Exactly. You might want a better return than that built into it. Let's face it, inflation and taxes and all that jazz. But you're 100% right about the numbers. You know, people that I've dealt with, because that was kind of my area of focus when I was uh, uh, doing mortgages um, full time, was the uh, making sure that if they were an investor, they were doing something like a flip or they were going to uh, do a, what is it, a burr. Sorry, that's the BRRR by renovate, rent, and refinance. Yes. The burr. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I just think it's a very poor acronym. Uh, It's just got to be something better for that. But um, um, you want to make sure that if you're going to private money, private money is great if you're the right type of person. You know, we covered the, the, the scarcity scenario or the, the desperate scenario. That's, really not where you want private money because it's not going to, they don't have your best interest in mind necessarily when they're lending you their money. Although I will say with the regulated, like the the mortgage investment entities, the regulated side of things, 99% of them don't want to own your home. There are are some who are in the loan to own program. Absolutely. And I, unfortunately, there was someone I was working with about a year ago who wasn't able to do anything because as uh, the lender I was looking at, looked at a situation, determined he, his lender was a predatory lender in the loan to own. And when he saw the lawyer involved, he's just like, we're never going to remember that this. Deal. He's, he's, he's going to throw fees at you like, like out of everywhere. Yeah. I remember that deal. And so, so that that's where, as with everything, it's so important to understand what you're getting into when you sign your documents and when you get mm-hmm. that loan registered, because that's essentially where everything is. Uh, that's where everything, that's where all your fees essentially get built in. They don't get charged later, but that's where they get built in. And this is something important. I mean, we kind of covered three categories of lending in general, then three categories within private lending. But let's look at MIEs, mortgage investment entities. And then cover the different categories that they uh, have, because a lot of the times, one of the challenges with, say, an investor is that they're going to a a very conservative MIE to get private money. And that's the wrong one to be going to because they don't do renos or flips or burrs. They they only do, you know, first residential in downtown Toronto. And they'll only go to 65 or 70% loan to value. And so... 
Absolutely. Then you have the other end of the spectrum where you're looking at um, big, big, big mix or MIEs that uh, um, will lend on construction and development financing. That's a whole different animal. They're looking for, say, $5 million loans instead of $500,000 loans. So you have to understand that each, you know, each MIE is going to have their own mandates to say that these are the things that we want to lend. This is the geographical region that we lend in. Um, this is the amount of money that we will lend. Um, and this is the type of property we'll lend on because a lot of them won't lend on farms. You know, agricultural land is not very popular with most most uh, uh, mortgage investment entities. Although I will say we know one very specific and we've got a great relationship with them. So that's, that's well, hey man, not everybody knows that there are agricultural uh, private money out there. Because a lot of times uh, the banks won't touch ag land anymore for whatever reason. It's really good to know that there is private money out there. If there's a if there's a a, a necessity to get to a next spot, like you know, I've seen what was I think we were working on one deal a while back where somebody had uh, three buildings on the property. One of them was a business. They didn't want to involve the house uh, in the deal. Do you remember this one? But they were building another shop to expand the business. Do you remember this? I don't specifically remember it, but that's that's fine. Oh, fine. Um, <laughs> but they wanted to, uh, so they wanted to include the land, but they didn't want to include the house, which sounds crazy. But part of the you know the land was agricultural. The house was a separate thing. The business was attached to the agricultural part of it. I think it might have been a horse farm, if I'm not mistaken, which is something a lot of people just won't deal with. But we worked on the deal to say, hey, you know what? I, I see where your exit strategy is. You've got six months till you're built out. After that six months, you need a little bit of runway to get it to, to get everything up to snuff. But by the end of one year, this is a really good plan for you because you're going to pay, let's say, 100000 but it's going to make you three hundred grand a year. So it made sense for that person. Um, and then real estate investors, if they're looking to, to the challenge is you don't want to speculate. You do not want to speculate with private lenders because fees are a, they're a pain in the ass and they can eat up a lot of capital. But if you've got a solid game plan, you've got a time, you know, a, a good timeline to get everything done less than a year is best. But if it's a big, big project, obviously it's going to take a few years to get done. You've got to know that there are specific MIEs for specific strategies, and you can go to their websites and check out a lot of their lending criteria. But what what would be the easiest way to deal with that, Jonathan? <laughs> Danielle, I, I I don't know. I don't know. It's, a, <laughs> it, it, it's tough when you plug me like that. It's a, obviously give us a shout, and we can definitely help out. Well, I mean, this is the thing. It it takes years to get really good at understanding private lending. It does. Um, but I'm also a big fan of having your team around you. You know, we've talked this, about this a million times, but the more I do business, the more I understand that you absolutely need somebody. If you're a real estate investor, you need a lawyer. You need a bookkeeper. You need an accountant. You need somebody that knows finance. You may or may not need a realtor, depending on the deal. Um, but you have to have these people in place that that's their specialties. So you don't have to go do that. You can just concentrate on the project. Unless you really want to learn it and want to spend all your time researching it and, and figuring out and talking to all these people, it's way easier to just go to somebody who's already put in the work and use them as, as your um, um, portable hard disk drive. <laughs> I, I said that as I'm, I'm looking for mine that will no longer talk to my computer <laughs> for some reason, but it's sitting right in front of me on the desk. But that is truly, you know, the purpose of having a team around you is so you don't have to specialize in everything. But you really got to vet your team well, and they got to talk to each other, not just you, because things get lost in translation. Now, all that being said, if you're looking to uh, do a construction project, you're definitely going to be looking at a longer term timeline. Do the same rates hold true or do they vary on a case by case basis when it comes to private lending for construction? With it, with everything, it's going to be the thing with private is, is well, the thing with lending in general, and this, this is the difference between I'll say residential versus commercial lending. And I'll say that private gets 
a little more into the commercial space. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what I mean by that is everyone gets accustomed to, all right, I got this property. What's my rate? <laughs> Whereas when you move into the commercial space and the private space, especially if you're doing something a little bit out of the norm, a property a little bit out of, out of a norm, they're going to go through and they're going to do what's termed, they're going to risk assess the deal. Mm-hmm. And they will add in risk premiums based on it. So if you're doing construction development, so anything like that, or even renovation, one of the first things they're going to ask is, what's your track record? Mm-hmm. If you got no track record, guess what? You just added a risk premium right there. If you, mm-hmm. if, you got a, if you got a solid track record saying that here's the projects, here's the completed stuff, here's what I've got, you've got a portfolio essentially you can show, you've de-risked a portion of the deal because they know here's someone who knows what they're doing. They've probably learned some of the mistakes already versus someone doing their first property. Well, I'm going to gut this house and do this. All right. Well, you don't know what you don't know yet. So guess what? Mm-hmm. We're going to put a risk premium on there. Mm-hmm. And then I would say the other things to be looking for is what are all of the fees? There's always going to be a mortgage admin fee built in. There has to be because that's how mortgage administrators make their money. Yep. But then you also have your closing costs. Then you also have uh, which are your lawyer's fees, your property taxes if necessary. Uh, but then you've also got things like uh, broker and lender fees on top of that, which can be as much as 4% depending on on where you're going. Um, hopefully it's not that high, but in a lot of cases it is. So if you're getting a rate of nine or 10% and you've got 4% in fees just for the lenders and brokers, that's a 14% cost of borrowing, total cost of borrowing. Well, and, and the, uh, the other part, and I'm just going to throw this because you're talking about, uh, you asked about sort of doing development and I'm going to throw sort of gutting a house and saying, well, I need the, the, the money to do this with the house. The other part you've got to look at is. They're not going to just say, well, what they're going to do, they look and say the house is or the house, the property is worth this today on completion. It's worth this. So it's worth 800,000 today when it's completed it's 1.2 million. Mm-hmm. We're not going to lend based on the 1.2 today. We're going to lend based on the 800 value today. And That's then huge. we're going then we're going to advance money based on certain thresholds of completion. Well, yeah. if they're doing it based on thresholds of completion, guess what? They're going to, need to do an inspection to confirm where it's at at each stage before they uh, advance the next draw. So as a result, you will have additional fees for that inspection, for mm-hmm. admin fees to do the draw and so forth. Yeah, that's huge. These are things that a lot of people, you know, it's it's funny. I've dealt with enough private mortgages at this point to understand that the average, the average person just financing their single family uh, owner occupied dwelling thinks that, oh, the rate's 8% or the rate's eight nine, 9%, whatever it is, because it is going up as, as things renew this year. Private lending doesn't track exactly to the market, but that's only because of the lag time between you know a one-year term and what's coming out. But they do definitely go up with, uh, with rising rates. But uh, a lot of the times, those folks aren't looking at all of your, their closing costs because they see the 2%, 2% at the beginning. You know, there's therefore, well, you know, my, my rate's 8%. That's not bad. Yeah, but what was your broker and lender fee? Oh, they were, you know, 5%. So your rate is not actually 9%. Your rate is now 14%. <laughs> and one, one of the things they also build in sometimes, they'll say, well, you need your lawyer fee, but also we're going to charge you for, the lender's going to charge you for their lawyer, lawyer fee. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. It's not they're the ones borrowing the money. They the, the lender shouldn't be footing the bill for that. Yeah. Uh plus property appraisals, though it's not that much. It's still, you know, three, three hundred and fifty dollars that you need to know going in that this is going to be part of the cost. And then the big thing with understanding all of this is knowing what your breakage fees are going to be. Yeah. Uh, because they can be ridiculous. You know, worst case scenario that I've seen, and I'm sure it's not the worst case scenario that could be, but worst case scenario is somebody wants out after six months. Well, that's fine, but you're still paying us the next six months of interest. Yeah. Which sucks. <laughs> but... so, so, well, as you say, it's understanding those things and understanding saying, well, you know what, if I pay an extra percent in my rate, but I know I'm going to probably be out of it at six months and it's fully open after six months that can be a huge saving. So it's yeah. it's not always just looking at what the rates, what's the total cost going to be, which is way more important. JT, let's talk about a uh, very messed up um, 
but it, it, the math is hard to comprehend. Interest reserves. Have you dealt with that much? You're laughing like, oh gosh, I hate this or what? <laughs> yeah, no, well, this this gets this gets more into larger scale projects. It's not so much, I mean, generally, generally someone doing a house financing, whether it's a flip or whatever else, they're not going to be dealing with this stuff here. I've seen it. I've seen it. Well, well, they, <laughs> they they will usually not term it as interest reserve. They'll usually say, hey, listen, we're going to have it prepaid for six months. Okay, but it's still an interest reserve. Yeah. So, so, so <laughs> essentially what it is, it's, it's saying, well, you're borrowing, you're borrowing 800,000 bucks and we're going to have your interest prepaid for a period of time. So it's essentially taking it saying the, here's what the interest cost would be for the year or the 800,000 or for six months. On the, so we're going to take that off of it right up, right off your $800,000 advance right off the start. So you're not making payments during that period. Okay, I've seen it. The other way that I've seen it is you need the eight hundred thousand, and it's just kind of flipping it the opposite way. You need the eight hundred thousand, but you're going to be making say ten percent payments for the year. Um, you, we're going to have to advance you eight hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Well, they well either way, saying if if you don't have the money to carry it, build it in either through building increasing yeah. the loan amount or just deducting it from the total advance. Yeah. Now, where the math gets a little weird for me is that you do charge interest on the interest because yeah. you're lending the interest. Yes. And that's where the math gets a little screwy. <laughs> not at all, but uh, uh, of I, course I, not I, for I you. Completely, but <laughs> the human calculator over here. No, I remember um, uh, watching actually uh, Weaver was one of the, the guys that I remember them trying to figure out the math with uh, the broker I was working with and just listening to them argue over how you back out the interest and calculate it. It was like, Oh my gosh, that sounds so confusing, but I'm sure you could explain that a whole lot easier to me than they could. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually have, if, Hey, if they need a hundred thousand in their pocket, I've actually built a calculator that will go through and say, if we're doing it based on an interest reserve, here's the total advance that needs to needs to be made to ensure that we account for the interest through all that. You never be cease to amaze because, me sir. because of that because of that exact situation. <laughs> most, most people don't realize they just, well, yeah, eight hundred thousand is ten percent when you eighty thousand. Going well, now you're borrowing eight hundred eighty thousand. What about the interest yeah. on that eighty thousand bucks? That still needs to be paid as interest during those payments. <laughs> well, then we'll just up it by eight thousand bucks. Going well, then you need the the interest on that on that eight thousand bucks. <laughs> See, that's going. where I get it, confused. It, it, it just keeps going. That's the like the weight to lift ratio in an airplane. You know what there, I mean? There, there, there is a uh, there. There actually is a mathematical equation that does all that stuff. And and I years ago I actually built it into a calculator. So if you need to know those numbers, I got it all built into a calculator. I would say that's sexy, but it's not. But it is. <laughs> you know what it is. Come on. I think that's awesome that you have that. It's just a cool thing to have because. That for me, that's a difficult equation to figure out. Now, <clears throat> as we're talking about investors, we, we've kind of run the gamut from uh, um, uh, to somebody who, who's on the brink of losing their home versus somebody who's investing all the way up to construction financing. Let's talk about the other side of it as an investor and becoming a private lender. Well, there, there's multiple ways you can do it. One is I was one is one it. is just in your <laughs> sorry. I was hoping you were going to take the baton and run there, <laughs> as opposed to this. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, there, don't watch our first ten episodes. <laughs> there, there's multiple ways to do it. We talked about uh, your your mix or your MIEs. A lot of them, if you actually if you actually check through, do some research on them. There's a lot of them that just are looking for money. And so mm -hmm. if you've got, uh, they usually have a, a minimum amount. They don't want someone coming in saying, here's a hundred bucks. They usually have a minimum <laughs> amount of, of 10,000 10, to 25,000 is a general minimum they've got. But, uh, but you'll effectively invest in their pool of money going out and they will, they will pay you a, a return on mm -hmm. that. Usually it's a set return. They could have some sort of bonus structure with it, but that's where you can find out. And uh, if you are thinking of doing that, it's important to understand, number one, looking at the return, but with return, there's a risk profile. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, well, we only invest in, uh, one lender might say, we only invest in the GTA, 
nothing over 80% loan to value, this and this, here's your return. Uh, that same lender may have a second fund that this, this fund here is paying a higher return. It's paying, but this is strictly second mortgages. It is 85 to 90% loan to value. It is everywhere from Ottawa to Windsor. So again, it's paying more, but it's a different risk profile. So it means there is, if you're going to lose money at one of those two, the riskier ones, the higher chance of losing. So, so you want to align what the return is with what the risk profile. So that that's one option. It's just hand it over to a group who's investing in this type of uh, of market, and they will take care of it for you, just paying you a set return. You can also uh, look at. Sorry. No, I was just going to chime in on that. Um, there's also, you know, everybody speaks about diversification in your um, investments. I think this is a really good place to talk about diversification within an asset class, because as an investor, yes, you can be going out there and buying properties and taking all the risk, or you could be working with a, a mortgage investment entity or a number of them to diversify within that. So you could have a little bit of uh, uh, construction in your silo, uh, sorry, in your, in your portfolio. Uh, you could have a little bit of first mortgage GTA residential, you could have a little bit of second mortgage, uh, all Ontario residential. You could even, you know, there's commercial, there's agriculture. You can you can start to research those mortgage investment corporations and a, not a bad place to start to talk about that. Although um, you can't actually help direct people directly into a, a, an investment, though we do know how to get that done. Um, but to help them understand what these, you know, this is where... It crosses over between the borrower and lender side, understanding what each mix mandate is or each MIE's mandate is so that you can start to diversify within that asset class. And you can do something that's very similar to a traditional strategy of having um, fixed income returns. Let's say you're getting 6% on a very conservative mix. Maybe you want to put a, you know, depending on your age, maybe you want to put 40 or 60% of your stuff into that and then go into the construction side and maybe look at a 10 to 20% and then go into the uh, second and or third mortgage sides and go with a smaller percentage on that. So that you're not risking all of your capital into one basket when you're looking at doing all of this. Um, but the best way to find out what's going on with all of them is talk to somebody who deals with them on a regular basis, like a mortgage broker. <laughs> hey, who are the ones that I should be doing this with? But diversifying within the asset class, I think is important because you don't want to just go with one. Let's, let's say you're working with one of the, the bigger mix that we deal with. And you probably know who I'm talking about where there is, you know, 65% loan to value, greater Toronto area, first residential only. And now, great thing is they have less than a 1% default rate. Even more important than that with somebody like that, because they have such a wide pool of investors, if one of the, say, 350 mortgages that they hold defaults that month and doesn't pay, you're never going to feel it because they're going to take it out, deal with it on their own, and put another one in place of it in that pool. So you never feel the difference there. You're getting your 6% every year, no matter what. And that, that's that's where that type of investment, where it's more passive on your end, you put it with these groups and they take care of it. And as you say, you don't you don't deal with the day to day. You you never get notified of, oh, these people missed a payment. These people were late. We had to foreclose on this property. You never hear about that versus yep. if you're doing it yourself, then those are some of the things It doesn't happen often. As you say, most uh, generally speaking. The majority of people, especially in Canada, pay their mortgages. Mm -hmm. They pay stuff. Uh, but there are situations, especially in the private world, where if you're lending in the private world, you got to recognize that there's a reason that some of these people are into private lending and they're getting a private mortgage is because they probably don't pay things on a timely manner. So if that's a situation and you're doing it on your own, I, I remember I've had some people over the years who, well, I've I've got uh, I've got forty thousand dollars. I want to lend it out. My first question to them is, okay, if you lend it to someone and they don't pay, do you have the means to manage that? Do you have the means? Because ultimately, if you're doing a small amount like that, you're going to be a second position mortgage. Mm -hmm. And with that, if it goes into foreclosure, if you're the second position mortgage, guess who has all the power? The first Number position one. mortgage. 
And what do they care about? They care about getting their, their own money out and you basically will get the scraps that are left over. Uh, one important thing to note with mortgages in Canada, and that is that if you do for, if someone is foreclosed on and they've got, they're sitting on quite a bit of equity, it's not all the equity goes to the mortgage holder. The mortgage holder is going to get paid out first. They're going to have the fees and everything. But if there is additional equity, that will go back to the homeowner. Exactly mm-hmm. how that works, I cannot go into, I, I, I'm not the person to answer that any further. Um, but when it comes down to it, if you are, you've got a small pool of money, you're looking to lend it out in second position, keep in mind, you are taking a riskier position. If they do fall behind, and I've, I've done some second mortgage lending, but I always have a clear exit strategy and I've done a full underwrite with the clients because it's usually we're doing a first, they get, they got a small shortfall and so they need a second. Great. I can, I can handle that. I know what I'm getting into here. Mm-hmm. But in the situation where they don't pay, should they not pay, usually if they're behind with you, they're going to be behind with their first mortgage and that first mortgage holder, they're the ones who have the power here. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be legal fees, everything else to do to go through a foreclosure process. So do you have the means to handle that? And that's always the first question. As I said, I've had a few groups. I got 50,000 bucks. I want to go in seconds because I know I can get good returns. Do you have the means to handle that? The answer is usually um, no. Okay, then that type of investing, I don't recommend at this stage for you because it's great to say, well, I can make 12% of my money, but it's not great if you don't have the means to actually take over the first position because going back to the uh most of the players who play in the second mortgage space by take over the first position they might be in a situation where they have to buy out that first mortgage so they have full control over the over the house and the way to do that is yeah you you hold an eighty thousand dollar second and they've got a eight hundred thousand dollar first well for your Eighty thousand dollars second. You got to put in eight hundred thousand dollars to buy out that first. Mm-hmm. Well, it, there is one other way that I've seen that, and it requires communication between the first and second position lenders. Yes, um, and that is to be able to take over the payments until the house can be sold. Yes, which still requires more money going in. Hopefully, you're going to get it out, but you just don't know. So it's an advanced strategy. It really is to be lending it out by yourself. I think um, as as a beginner, you definitely want to work with an MIE to understand the space better and not have to deal with all the administration yourself. Mm-hmm. I think it's just an easier way. But if you do get to the point where you feel advanced enough that you want to strike out on your own, you need a darn good lawyer to be working with because that lawyer is going to be taking care of all of the payment information and transfers and all of that stuff if they're worth their salt. And and make sure that it's a lawyer who has had experience with that space. In particular, if we go through foreclosures, what's involved? Make sure they can answer those power questions for you. So, power of sale. Power of sale. Yes. <laughs> We're not Americans yet. Um, <laughs> no, you know what? I, I think this is a really unexplored um, sector of the investment industry of the real estate investment industry for people. Because I think it's a really easy place for people to get comfortable investing in real estate. I think it's uh, a far better solution than, say, a GIC at a bank. Uh, I heard one today for 4.88%. Awesome. Yeah. Inflation rates, six and a half, seven. <laughs> so you're only losing a couple of points on your money, and then you get taxed on your losses, So, uh, which is technically a profit, but it's still losses. Whereas you look at something at least that can keep up with the inflation rate, hopefully a couple of points above, so you can still realize some profit. That's a really good toe dipping place to go. You know, throw 10, 20 grand into a, a mortgage investment entity that's fairly conservative, but gives you a, a big enough return to at least match the tax rate and inflation rates. Um, and the great thing about them is they're typically shorter terms. You know, a, a private mortgage, you know, 90% of them are going to be a one year term. Yeah, exactly. So you can put your money in and take it back out within a year. Probably not what the, the, the mortgage investment entity is going to want from their people, but it is possible. And it's nice to have a one-year commitment instead of a 10-year commitment or a five-year commitment for a crappy rate that isn't going to necessarily mean anything a year from now. 
now all that stuff being said if people want to start getting into just straight up lending to people personally how much regulation is there around that right now uh if you're just lending you're just putting your own money out and you're not part of a group or a pool there's not a whole lot (laughs) Yeah, pretty much zero. So, so, um, say, saying that on the, I'll just say on the uh, the mortgage broker side, there is actually new uh, new regulation coming in regarding private lending. Jonathan, yeah. so, so, sorry, I just got some news. The guest that we wanted to book that I told you just before we came on. Yep, he said yes. Yay! <laughs> sorry, sorry, I just got the text. <laughs> so, so with respect to uh, there is actually new regulation coming in, where for mortgage brokers to be able to deal in private mortgages, there's additional training they have to do now. Good, good. Whereas that 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 has not been the case. It's been kind of like, hey, here's the mortgage broker license. That's it. Um, I don't know the exact date when it is coming into effect. I know that it's recently been announced that uh, that there is this additional training and courses that have to be done. So mm-hmm. going forward, that's going to be uh, something new. You know what? I, I think that's good. I know when I really got heavily into it, um, I wasn't even going through Phylogix or, or my brokerage. I was able to broker the deals completely on my own without any interference from anybody because they're private and they were outside of the regs. Yeah. Thankfully, the more regulated sector of private lending is now becoming... Um, I don't want to say safe, but safer. You know, it's it's saying safe is a a, a no no word when it comes to uh, when it comes to investing. But the fact of the matter is, Canadians pay their mortgage. There's a plan B if the if they don't pay their mortgage, and you're part of a large pool, so your chances of feeling that are pretty low. Well, and and the 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 biggest part, the biggest factor is the fact that. Our real estate prices are pretty stable, and I just they're obviously have been going up, but there we haven't seen large things where prices drop 20, 30 percent year to year or anything like that. So that's that's the big factor that makes it a more stable environment. Well, you know, it's funny, um, and just talking about lending criteria for for MIEs. The one that I worked with um, that was doing a lot of private lending focused stuff wouldn't actually lend within the GTA. And I think we've discussed this before. I found it very interesting because 80, 90% of the mix out there, they want to deal with the GTA and the surrounding areas. And these guys were like completely opposite. They're like, no, prices have risen so high so fast there that if there's going to be a drop, that's where they're going to feel it first. And it's going to be, you know, it could potentially be 20 or 30 percent especially back around that 2016 2017 era where everything was going up 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 really fast and we saw that little hiccup in 2017 and all of those things so it's really interesting you you really have to know who they are and what their lending criteria are before you invest with them but it's such a great alternative to most of the stuff that's out there because it is passive if you, if you just tow dip and it's passive, you don't have to worry about what's going on. You never going to get a phone call to what was it? A, you know, change a toilet and uh, <laughs> fix a light bulb. Uh, <laughs> le- le- leaky toilet at two o'clock in the morning. Yes. <laughs> You're never going to get that. There's somebody handling all of that for you. You're never going to have to deal with somebody who doesn't pay on time because that's dealt with for you. You're most in most cases never going to miss a, you get a, a payment missed, whether they pay out monthly, quarterly, yearly, whatever it is. Because they're dealing with all of that. It's a great way to get started. It's not where you have to stay. It's a great way to get started. Now, we're getting near the end of our time here, Jonathan. So I'm getting notifications for other meetings and stuff. But I still a couple of things left in this area that I want to talk about. Let's talk about the sharks. Um, On both sides. Because when it comes to this area, there's going to be great straight up private lenders who don't deal with any regulations and there's going to be predatory loan to own sharks out there who want to loan on somebody's house and take it away from them and i have been in those scenarios what should they be looking out for uh, from a borrower side we'll start with if somebody is a shark they want a loan to own they want your house what are the big red flags they should be looking for when it when it uh when they're first looking at that loan 
number one is what fees are being charged. I mean, understand they should get documents that outline all the fees, mm -hmm. both the upfront fees. Um, and I've seen, I've seen predatory up, upfront fees. I've seen people signing things. They need $30,000 and suddenly it's like 45 is being borrowed to pay all the fees that are in there. Mm -hmm. So it's understand what those things are and they should be clearly outlined in addition to what are the other fees, fees to get out of the loan early, fees to fees for a mispayment. Those should all be outlined and understood. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you miss a payment? Because um, the one company I worked with, they would allow you to miss three payments before they went to power of sale, which I think is pretty fair. Yeah. Um, but it was late or missed. That's that was a key distinction because even if it's late by a few days, and I think they had from the first to the fourth to pay or something like that, but if they didn't pay by the fourth, that counted as a missed payment, even if it was made. Um, but then if they did that three times in a row, they have to start the power of sale process because they know you're underwater and they got to protect their investors. That was yes. their mandate. It wasn't because they wanted to own your house because they had to protect their investors. But um, knowing that if you're late on a payment or you miss a payment, it's not going to cost you 20 grand because they can write that in there. There's nothing saying they can't. You have to be very, very careful and read the fine print on that. Completely the case. I think it's also why first. you want to deal with Jonathan as your broker because he knows <laughs> the game. Did I freeze? You you froze for a second there. Yes. Was it a blurg face or was it was it a blurg face or was it a, a pretty face? You, you, you had a serious look <laughs> on your face right there. Very. Similar. Oh, that's not often. That's not often. Um, now, on the other side, as a lender, what are red flags you should be looking out if somebody comes to you to borrow whatever amount of money? <sighs> so if, if you're so this is an individual okay? lender l lending out. I mean, if somebody's if Uncle Joe and somebody's Uncle Dave, <laughs> I, I, if you're going to be doing this yourself, the number one thing you want to do is you want to have your criteria. Here's here's your lending criteria. Yeah. Here's the credit profile you want to see. Here's I mean, and if you're looking for for everyone's 750 beacon score, you probably won't see it in this space. But here <laughs> here's what you want to see. As far as like, just understand, here's the areas you want to be lending in. Here's the type of properties you want, because you can specify saying, I don't want, I don't want condos. I only want condos. Mm -hmm. um, I, I only want things like on the West side of the city. If you're lending yourself, you want things within a certain driving distance yourself. So just be very clear on what the type of deals you want to see and that way it helps you with your process saying if something doesn't fit your your type of deal you can assess and say is this this something you're comfortable with or not you're mm -hmm. if at the end of the day if you got a bad feeling about a deal you better to pass on it because it's way easier to uh, find gut. another deal than it is to get out of a bad deal trust your gut always trust your gut and yeah. you know it's it's one of those things you see it every now and then uh, where somebody's building a house and halfway through you go by, you know, six months after it started construction and boom, power of sale listed up there. And it sucks, but somebody didn't plan for proper things like, you know, building materials can skyrocket, uh, labor can skyrocket, all of those things happen. If you're going to be lending on something, you've got to know that they can, you know, you've got to do your own stress test on the financials. Truly is what it comes to because, hey, what happens if there's a, a labor strike and you're down for three months? Yep. Because that can always happen. Anyhow, Jonathan, we're at the end of our, I, you know what? I love when we talk about stuff that we both really love because it goes so freaking fast. <laughs> and I do love private lending. It's a really exciting sector for both investors and borrowers because there's so many solutions out there. And there are a ton of options, and there's a lot of a lot more regulation in it now than there ever has been to protect both the lenders and the, and the borrowers. So, all in all, I think the whole space is getting better every day, um, and it's really something that investors should be looking at for solutions, and uh, both on the the borrowing side to get projects done, and on the lending side to to start toe dipping and understanding how they can make passive income within real estate without having to do all of the work themselves, which is really the definition of passive income. So I spoke too long. My brain didn't catch up. <laughs> <laughs>
Jonathan, anything you want to say to leave us off here other than my own stupidity? Um <laughs> Well, should, should I do another shameless plug? Of course, do if it. you are. Do it. <laughs> if if you are obviously, if you're looking for a mortgage, love to have a conversation with you. Show you some of the things we're doing, um, not just from the private lending side, but but from the regular institutional side, and and especially with our strategy, showing clients how they can pay their mortgage down faster. And as you build it up, mm-hmm. as you build up equity in your house, how you can use that for private lending if you want to do it. Um, if you are looking to get into private lending, uh, you want some connections with some of these various uh, entities to put money with, be happy to have a conversation, make some introductions. Um, at the end of the day, reach out. Love to hear from you. You know what? Uh, one more plug on there, Jonathan, is uh, we did uh, we did write a book, Private Financing for Investors, and I'm going to make myself have to go do, uh, go do more work because we set up the website or event that uh, happened three weeks ago. I'm going to have to do some tweaking to make it work out now, but I want people to get the information. You can certainly go to a amortgageplan.com, enter your email address, and we will send you the book for free. Uh, but it's a really great, probably needs some updating because uh, the rates and stuff have changed, but the principles are still sound. The strategies are there. The tactics are a different thing. Anyhow, thank you so much for your time, Jonathan. I always appreciate these conversations, especially when we get like right into it. And thank you for listening. We really appreciate your time. Like we said, go to a mortgageplan.com. You can check out the uh, free download there. You can also check out Guide to the Grind. I have to do so much work on our websites though, JT. Otherwise, we thank you for being here. We appreciate your time. We hope we filled it with a ton of value and we'll see you soon.